0: Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We wanna give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now onto the episode with your host, Coach Lisa.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life podcast. My name is Lisa, I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with nutrition and fitness coach, Andrea Rogers from Elevated
0: Coaching Systems. Welcome, Andrea. Hey, thank you for having me.
1: I'm very, very excited to talk to you today a little bit um, specifically about training for women, nutrition for women, what things we might want to do differently than um, when it comes to training for men. Um, But before we dig into all of that, I would love for you to just give us a little bit of a background as to how you got into coaching, how you yourself got interested in, in training and nutrition.
0: Yeah, I got into, um, training and nutrition, uh, basically just because I was so into sports as a kid and wanted to improve my performance there. Um, it's, it's something that was uh, part of a class that we could take in school. And um, they had, so for our classes, we had like A days and B days. And so it would just alternate throughout the week. Um, so I just took two so, so that I could do it on both days and do it every day of the week. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed progressing there. Um, that was, it was mostly set up so that the football players (laughs) could lift and improve, um, there just because the the PE coach was also the football coach. Um, so it was a lot of, it was called bigger, faster, stronger. I believe it was a lot of like powerlifting training and things like that. Um, so I, I really liked it, but then kind of let go of that a bit whenever I got, uh, into college and was doing more running. Um, I was still I was still lifting weights, but it was more just like circuit training kind of, kind of a thing. Um, and I was always just kind of, kind of skinny ish. No, I I didn't have muscle tone or anything like that. And then I read, um, Mike Matthews book muscle for life. And it was, it was like the big three focused on progressive overload, more bodybuilding, uh, style. And whenever I started that, I, Uh, I just noticed for the first time, like my shape changed a ton and I started tracking macros at the same time. Um, And so I was already a personal trainer. I started personal training um, somewhere around 2010 ish. Um, And so I was already personal training, but, but that just kind of totally changed the way that I looked at how to train my own clients and, um, got me more interested into the nutrition side of things. And so I started, uh, online coaching on the nutrition side, um, shortly after that. And then I have, I have two boys. And once I had my second, uh, son, it made sense to just go completely online. And I quit training in person. That was, uh, six years ago. And, um, then in 2020, Uh, My youngest was um, getting ready to start preschool. And so I had more time opening up and it ended up coinciding with um, having the opportunity to start working with Jeremiah Bear for elevated coaching systems. And so then it was more of a full-time thing. And now, um, you know, we've got four coaches, adding a fifth. And, um, we have, uh, the, of course, one-on-one training with all of the coaches. And then Jeremiah and I are also doing a coaching mentorship for new client or for new coaches. And so, yeah, that's, that's how I got into all of that awesome sounds like
1: a cool journey and i love how um through mike matthew's book how how that mostly opened your eyes towards um actually progressive overload and quote-unquote shaping your body Uh, i love his work um bigger leaner stronger certainly an amazing book and then you mentioned the other one um stronger for life no lean for life or whatever thinner leaner stronger Oh yes. <laughs> um also an amazing read for sure. So, um yeah, for anyone listening, good recommendation here. Um with your training nowadays, I'm curious to hear um firstly, I assume you're mostly coaching women for for, for the majority. Anyway, um is there anything that you come across um like quite often in the sense of, hey, I want to sh- shape my butt or how can I tone my arms or whatever. um And, and h- how do you um implement that in your coaching, whether that be with nutrition recommendations or, of course, in terms of training, like how do you adjust certain training programs for those goals?
0: Yeah. So training women and training men is not all that different. The major difference comes down to most of the time women want to focus on different muscle groups than men do. So for men, a lot of times it's going to be arms, chest, quads, but uh, for women a lot of times it is shoulders <laughs> bringing it in the waist um building their glutes so that's going to be the main difference is just it, it basically comes down to exercise selection um and then uh, a couple just different, um, challenges that come up on the nutrition side of things, which I'll, I'll touch on. But when it comes to training, um, one of the, the things that I see with women is they they're coming to us, uh, training in a way where they're just taking too little rest and it's more focused on hit, um, high intensity intervals, get sweaty, sort of like just feel, uh, subjectively like you've worked hard throughout that session. And once we can shift, um, with the, the rest periods over to, um, taking some more time in between sets and pushing harder in each set, we'll see a huge change. I mean, that's what I was just saying with my own, um, change in training that, that shaped my body so much differently is basically pushing, putting more effort into each set and then taking an actual significant rest time in between. Um, so we have a lot of people coming from, Um, things like orange theory, fitness, or, um, maybe CrossFit or something where, uh, the, the limiting factor within each set, isn't going to be a target muscle that you're trying to work on. But instead it is just like, I'm too tired to, to keep going or my, my, um, interval time has ended. And so I put the weights down or something of that nature. Um, so let's say you're trying to build your glutes. Well, if you are um, doing a 40 seconds on 40 seconds off interval, maybe you get to the end of that 40 seconds and your glutes still have several reps left in them. And we know that with hypertrophy training, you need to get to um, effective reps, which tends to be those last uh, one to four or five reps, uh, before you hit failure. And so if you're not getting there, then you're not going to be growing your glutes. Like you want to, even if it feels subjectively, like you've worked really hard or you get like a pump or a burn in your glutes, you, you need to be able to take it there all the way closer to failure in order to, to get that hypertrophy stimulus. Um, so, so too little rest is definitely a, a big one. Um, and then not training heavy enough tends to go along with that. So, um, a lot of women are focused more on, um, choosing a little bit lighter weight and just going with a higher rep range. Um, I, I have seen that quite a bit with, and I, I also partially blame this on, um, like sort of influencer type programs where, Um, it's, it's like, Hey, grab the three to five pound weights and we're going to just do these like small pumping movements where you really feel it, but it's not creating the change, uh, that you want to see. So, um, grabbing a little bit heavier weight is going to be, uh, really helpful there just so that, uh, you're landing somewhere. The hypertrophy rep range is, is very wide and forgiving, but somewhere between let's say six and 20 reps. If you're hitting failure somewhere within there, um, you're going to be getting a pretty good hypertrophy stimulus. Um, along with that, uh, exercise selection is a big one. So like I was saying, you want to take the target muscle close to failure. Um, if there is anything that is failing before you get, uh, to failure with that target muscle, you're not going to get that stimulus. Well, if you're choosing the wrong exercises, then something else is going to fail first. Like, um, your, your core, or if you're doing say like a combination movement where you're doing a lunge to press or something like that, imagine how much weight your lower body can lunge and how much weight your upper body can press. If you're putting those two together, your lower body is not going to get anywhere close enough to failure. Your shoulders may fail, but, um, that's, that's not doing anything for your lower body. Same thing with, um, anything where your grip is going to give out first or, um, your core or your cardiovascular system. We really want the movement selected to take that um, target muscle close enough to failure, right? There's like a theme with all of these. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pause for a second there in case you want to add anything. So I'm not just (laughs) talking for the entire time straight. I
1: I love it. I love everything that you said, and I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, I am a huge fan of Dr. Stacey Sims. You probably have heard of her and, uh, she, Mm -hmm. Is more or less specializes in what are the differences in terms of training and nutrition for women and, and men. And um, one of the things she tends to highlight also is that as women, we are built for that um more moderate range endurance type exercise. That's where we are good at. And that's I think that's one of the reasons why so many women gravitate towards that range because it feels good. You're good at it. We all like to be good yeah. at stuff. <laughs> we don't like things that are, you know, too, too, too difficult. Okay. Yes. Of course it's still exhausting, but, but um, you know, naturally that's just where we, most of us gravitate towards that like more endurance or, or higher reps, moderate kind of range. But she says also exactly like you said, we need to be pushing into those um higher intensity ranges but in the sense of the effort that we put in in a shorter amount of time Um, and whether that is with a uh, you know five by eight uh, rep scheme and sufficient amount of rest in between but then at least that rest allows you to really push it hard in the sense of the weight when you are lifting Um, or it can also be sprint intervals or you know whatever else here but getting out of that I'm just going to cruise along for an hour, get my sweat on, et cetera, is really, really, really helpful um, according to her and uh, and the research that she is doing when it also comes to optimizing our hormonal profile, especially as women move into perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, et cetera. So um, yeah, that's just something I wanted to add. But uh, aside from that, I totally, totally agree with the rep ranges, with the exercise sele- selection point, et cetera, that you made.
0: Yeah, and a lot of times it is the thing that, is not within your wheelhouse with the thing that is, um, in your comfort zone, that's going to create the most change in your body. Like if you have been doing that medium intensity, like running or, um, anything like that for years and you don't have the shape that you want, well, then that right there tells you that you need a different signal to your body. Um, in order to create that change, your body is just responding to the inputs been giving it. So to get a different outcome, you need different, uh, different actions
1: hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. And, um, and you were, um, you wanted to continue on in terms of nutrition, I believe, uh, specific things more. Yeah.
0: yeah on the nutrition side of things, um, uh, now obviously these aren't going to be true across the board for everyone that, um, uh, but if we're looking, if we're painting in broad strokes, uh, women tend to, um, just be in a deficit for too long. Uh, the goal always, anytime you want to change your body, it's I'm going to go into fat loss. I'm going to eat less and essentially just, um, eat as little as possible for as long as I can hang on and see what create, what change can create. And then, um, oftentimes at the end of that push you end up swinging hard in the other direction because it's, um, such a disruption to your lifestyle that you can't, um, hang on to that for long enough. So, um, that's why we, uh, take people through different phases of dieting. Um, fat loss is just one phase and that's not where you should live long-term. Ideally, um, you would look at your, uh, programming over the course of a year or more and go, okay, um, is there anything big that I want to get ready for? or, um, what makes the most sense in terms of my lifestyle, where to diet. And then the rest of the time is basically, um, it it is, there's so many more positives to being at maintenance or in a surplus, um, versus dieting. So I'll always like list out these, this comparison of in a fat loss phase, the pros of that is you feel leaner. Like that's really cool, but that's one of the only positives unless you are starting from a place where you're overweight and that's actually going to improve your health where which um for the the women that we're coaching it's most of the time um more people like us where they're intermediate to a little bit um teetering toward advanced and it's more for the sport of it. It's like, I want to see what my body can do and push myself. Um, so it's not often for us just that, like, I want, I need to get into a deficit to improve my health. It's more like, I just want to see myself get leaner. Um, whereas if you look at maintenance or being in a, in a surplus to build muscle, there's a whole list of positives that come along with that. Like it oftentimes is going to, um, improve your hormonal health. You have more food flexibility for, um, events where like you're eating out with your friends or your family. Um, You feel so much better in the gym. You're able to build muscle and so on. So there's a whole list of pros to not being in a, in a a dieting phase that people tend to ignore and just focus on the, I want to look leaner aspect of it. Um, so Like I was saying, with periodizing your nutrition over the course of a year or more, um, maybe like in the late summer, you start to get into a maintenance or build phase. And then I really like to have people hold a build for at least six months at minimum, because being in a build, you really kind of snowball in, um, the results that you're getting, as long as you're not pushing it too hard, too far into a surplus. Um, but you, you get further into training where like things just start to feel better. You feel stronger and those results just kind of snowball. So if you just dip into a surplus for three months and then get back out, you're just not going to see too much change in your physique. Um, unfortunately building muscle is just a really long, slow process. So, um, at least six months spending in that Um, building phase, maybe, um, maintenance for a few months out of the year, more focused on, um, health or just things outside of, um, your, um, Uh, pushing to to gain or lose. And then maybe for uh, the three months leading up to summer, that's where people really start to like to think about getting lean. And so you can, if you just can spend that, I'm sorry, if you can hear my dog in the background, spend that (laughs) three months um, in a deficit, that's going to have minimal negative impact to things like um, your, your hormonal, hormonal profile and your, um, relationship with food and those aspects. And so you can just kind of get in, get out and, um, support that time with the rest of the nutrition periodization. Um, so any clients that I have that have more of their mindset where they are coming in and going, I know that this is going to take a very long time. And I'm okay with that. I'm on board with not feeling my leanest for the next few months. Once they do set up that foundation and they get into a fat loss phase, it is night and day, how much smoother that process goes versus those that just want to come in and go, I want to get right into fat loss. And I have three months, let's do it (laughs) right now. Um, the, the results that we get with that situation, they're just a lot more grindy. It's, it's very, um, it's a lot more difficult than those uh, others that, um, have that more long-term mindset. Um, so uh, that was just not, uh, not spending enough time outside of dieting. Um, another one that we'll see with women is just not eating enough protein. Um, and this, this, I wouldn't say is just specific to women. Cause it's, as you get larger, your protein needs are higher. So like men also can struggle with this because, uh, you know, eating out or even, um, portions of, of things that are like more of the convenience type things at home, there's smaller portions of protein. Like you tend to get maybe 15 to 25 grams of protein in a meal. If you're eating out or, um, eating something that's maybe more packaged from home. And so it's, it's a struggle for a lot of people. Um, but when you can get up to that 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of protein. Um, meaning like if you weigh 150 pounds, um, getting somewhere within like 125 to 165 grams of protein, I don't know if that math actually works out, but somewhere around there, um, that is going to make a huge difference in, um, your physique overall. And also how, um, how easy it is for you to see the, the fat loss, um, come off. So, the reason for that is um you need the protein to supply the raw materials to build muscle and really when we're when we're talking about um getting lean and looking toned that really is about spending some time building muscle and then getting lean enough to reveal it so you need that protein to to have the muscle to have shape once you do get lean um and then protein is just satiating. So if you are trying to diet on a lower protein amount, it's just harder because you get more hungry and hunger is one of the top things that derails people from dieting. Like it's just a very uncomfortable feeling. Some of it's going to have to be there. Like you're going to have to experience some hunger in a fat loss phase. It just comes along with it. Um, it, it is just a signal that your body is in a calorie deficit, but if we can mitigate that by just shifting the amount of protein up, and taking some of those calories from the carbs and fats um, to give to protein, then that just eases that hunger a little bit more and can make the process go um, a little bit smoother. Um, so, uh, the, and then, like I said, just that, that long-term mindset of not, um, trying to just go in and change your body all at once. Um, that, that to me is like really the biggest thing that, that encompasses both the training and nutrition side of things. It's just like, this is a very long-term process. Anybody that you look at online and go like, man, she has a great physique. I would love to look like that she's probably been working at it for like a decade. (laughs) It just is such a long, slow process. And for some longer than others, like genetics obviously come into play whenever it comes to, um, building muscle, but it's, it's a lot of work and it's not just something that you're going to get into this, um, three month transformation and completely change your body. 100%
1: 100% yes I totally agree and I can um, uh, relate to or, or what I wanted to say is I, I think um you raised a good point with the patients in a building phase in a specific building phase I currently am in um my seventh month of a lean gaining phase so before that I like I'm a huge lover of maintenance phases for myself <laughs> but also for my clients obviously Um, and I think that a lot of people that well come to um I said nutrition coaching in life, but I think also in in other um coaching s- um situations, a lot of people can still see great changes and add muscle mass, add maintenance, especially if they had been under-eating for so long. Um but then yeah again yeah, for sure. like me who has been training for a long amount of time and who actually Spend, uh, spend a lot of time at maintenance, it's going to be even more beneficial to supply the body with more building blocks, as you said, um, in a calorie surplus. So that's what, what prompted me to go into it. Um, But yeah, I, I absolutely agree that uh, one of the worst things people can do when they um, start a building phase or even sometimes at maintenance is like after a month or two being like, oh, okay, I, I'm feeling fluffy. I'm over this. I want to go into a cut. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're not going to like, oh, your, you're just going to undo your results to an extent. I mean, of course, even that month or two at maintenance or in a surplus would have been beneficial for Hormones, but if you really want to see a change, um, that that layout that you said of like just cutting maybe three months of the year will be perfect. And most people for most people, those um, there are six colder months of the year where it's perhaps not such a big deal wearing more leggings or wearing more clothes to like feel a bit more comfortable. And then, you know, in the warmer months, we all want to want to feel a little bit better in, in our skin. So that periodization can actually work out really, really well. Um, I'm curious if you um, have any specific supplement recommendations for, for women rather than for men or just something not necessarily um, uh for, that's like that across the board, but maybe something that you have just noticed, women tend to be more deficient in x, y, z, or should be you know paying even more attention at x, y, z. Is there anything like that?
0: Um yeah, with with um supplements, it is something that most most of the supplementation is going to be highly individual. But um, as far as just kind of the standard recommendations, um, a lot of clients I would re- recommend a good multivitamin. Um, something that has a methylated B complex is great just because. Uh, some people are going to have a harder time methylating B vitamins. And so if you just get that, you know, that it's covered, it's not going to harm you if you, uh, methylate them just fine. So that that's just kind of a sign of a higher quality multivitamin, in my opinion, um, a fish oil or omega-3 supplement, just because it's, it's difficult to eat enough fatty fish to get sufficient omega-3s, um, even if you're including other sources like, um, walnuts or flax, that type of omega-3s is just going to be a little bit harder to, um, convert to the correct, uh, type in your body. So just like a fish oil supplement, if you're not vegan or, um, like a flaxseed oil or something like that for omega-3s, if you are vegan. Um, and then magnesium is another one that I recommend quite a bit. And that is just something that's so difficult to get through food. Even if you're looking at your food through the lens of trying to get enough micronutrients, magnesium is, is just one that's difficult to get. So, uh, two to 300 milligrams of magnesium glycinate at night before bed is great because it's going to help you kind of settle down and get a little bit better sleep. Um, and it's great for anyone that's high stress or that is, training. So pretty much everyone that we, that pretty much covers everyone across the board. Um, more specific to women, uh, would be something like a chase Berry. And this is not more. something that I would recommend necessarily across the board, but, uh, almost any lab work that I get from clients, it we are going to see low progesterone just because progesterone is something that gets lowered over time with stress, or with dieting. And, um, so it's just so common to see that being low and you want progesterone in a certain ratio with estrogen. And so even if progesterone isn't crazy low, um, if it's just out of range with that estrogen number, then, uh, some chaseberry can help. And I, I have never seen high progesterone. So, you know, if, if someone did supplement with chaseberry, um, I, I, I don't think that it would be a problem. Um, even if they were in balance, I just, I, I can't imagine anyone going progesterone dominant. So <laughs> that's another one that I'll tend to recommend, um, with quite a few women.
1: Some, yeah, I mean, I totally agree on those, especially on the basic supplements as well. And now what I sometimes find women, think they consume enough of but usually don't or often don't is is also calcium just in the sense of osteoporosis um especially if we're tending towards like oh I want to eat more plant based and want to eat less animal products if you're dealing with that kind of um client uh, then then usually you know let's let's track or let's um really look at your calcium for a little while to see that you're actually hitting that base um, and, uh, you raised the point of vitamin B, which, which also I would find like a lot of women, they say, even if they eat chicken and fish, then often they don't eat that much red meat. And so vitamin B iron that can sometimes fall short, especially if someone is a heavy bleeder as well, we're losing a lot of blood and um, iron can be low. So that's certainly something to, to take, uh, or to be aware of. I find, um, Do you have a lot of women or clients that struggle with sleep as well? And whether that's throughout certain times of the month, perhaps some people uh, don't sleep so well when they are on their period or maybe during ovulation or whatever. And, And then, of course, also during certain times of life, such as perimenopause or so when sleep is affected a bit more.
0: Yeah, you touched on a couple of the the main times whenever um, people will see um, changes in their sleep. But with sleep, that's something that I I see really n- across the board. Um, it, it is a struggle for a lot of people, um, even outside of those specific times where where it's more likely to occur just because there's such high stress, um, especially with with women, a large proportion of the women that we work with are moms and, uh, just like with kids, there's a lot more stress. There's a lot more going on. You've got, um, sports to go to and things like that, where it keeps you up late. And so, um, yeah, stress is just, it's, it's really a struggle for a lot of people across the board. And that has such a huge impact on your nutrition and your training. Obviously, if you're getting six hours or less of sleep, your training is probably not going to be quite as productive as it would if you're if you're sleeping well. Um, people tend to have a harder time sticking to their diet just because your your hunger is up. Um, that drive to eat, even if it's not physiological hunger, just the drive to, to eat tends to be up. Cravings are a little more intense. Um, so it does have a huge impact. And then also just on the recovery, even if you are able to get in a good, um, uh, training session, the recovery, um, happens while you sleep. So you really need that sleep to, to recover from, um, any training session. Um, there was, um, a study done on, uh, individuals who slept six hours per night versus eight hours per night and the individuals with six hours per night in a fat loss phase lost more muscle and less body fat. The overall weight loss was exactly the same, but there was more muscle loss and less body fat loss in the uh, lower amount of sleep. And that's just six hours. Like for a lot of people, they would consider that a pretty good night of sleep. So, um, that shows you how important that is. And then on the flip side, in a, uh, surplus of calories, the, um, poor sleepers are going to gain more body fat and less muscle mass. So it it truly does make a huge impact on your physique, um, as a whole. And so like you mentioned, there are a couple of times where even good sleepers will notice some disruptions. Like, um, I tend to see it more um, premenstrual phase, like in that week leading up to the cycle, there's that swing of progesterone and progesterone is the calming hormone. And so if your progesterone drops, then you suddenly are getting insomnia and you're not sure why. And, um, now if you are in the position of chronically low progesterone, where you've been, um, in a chronic deficit or, Um, just very high stress lifestyle, then progesterone will just always baseline be a bit low and that can have a disruption to your sleep as well. Um, and then perimenopause for the same reason, (laughs) your, your hormones are, um, swinging. And so you don't have that calming hormone to help you get more into that parasympathetic state and get to a good restful night of sleep.
1: Yeah, stress is just is is such a big one. I mean, whether that's through the pathway of uh, progesterone, or whether that's just keeping our mind active. I do think that uh, in many cases, this is all exacerbated by people being too much on their phones too late. Um, or even, you know, having the phone on the bedside table and, and looking at the phone. And even if it's, I so often hear like, oh, but it's on dim mode, or it's on night mode. Well, that doesn't change that much even if you switch it to black and white I mean that's better than colors and but still think about like it keeps your brain active right like that's the whole thing you open it up you either read something or you answer someone or you scroll through something so all of this requires for your brain to be stimulated in one way shape or form and so that's really uh, I have to say that's one of my pet peeves having the phone in the bedroom (laughs) Um, and I, I, I like what Andrew Huberman is always saying about daylight viewing, especially in the early times of the day or within an hour or so of waking, just going outside, even if it's overcast, even if it's winter or so just to uh, reset that circadian clock. And I think if we look at those two levers in the sense of, um, daylight and the sense of screen time, um, timing or minimizing or whatever optimization then we can already help that a lot even just from the mental perspective of you're not available or you're not reachable right now as soon as you enter the bedroom that's your little bubble in there where no one or you know even if maybe you are someone who has to be reachable for Care purposes or whatever, there are so many ways to forego that, and 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 just set specific people that can reach you or whatever. So I'm a I'm a big fan of those additional tools, and in, in in addition to everything that you've already said, um, in in terms of cycles, since we're touching on that, is that something that um you speak to your clients with when it comes to training around the cycle or maybe you hear often from people oh I'm so lethargic I couldn't train properly because of my cycle or so um how do you approach that or perhaps also the aspect of really high cravings around your cycle
0: yeah. Um, just to, to touch on the sleep thing, one, one, uh, last final point there, something that we do with clients quite a bit with, um, poor sleep habits is, um, just set up a, a nighttime routine. And, um, within that I'll often recommend like, Hey, if you can also get out some for some sunlight in the morning, I, that's a really common recommendation. Cause I've seen that in myself, like how much that impacts my sleep. Um, but just, if you think about your, um, uh, like how much your body responds to routine. Um, like you get hungry at the same times each day, you get sleepy at the same times each day, you can train your body to get sleepy at your bedtime. And, um, if you start to do the same things at the same time each night, and it can just be simple things like, um, you know, if you can include some parasympathetic activities, like journaling, um, like maybe stretching or deep breathing, that's awesome. But even if it's as simple as um, your skincare, your um feeding the dog, like all of those kind of things, you're you get into the pattern. And then your body automatically is like, oh, okay, when I do these things in this sequence at this time, I start to get sleepy and it releases that melatonin. And then you start to get um wound down for bed. Um, but in terms of training with the cycle, um I really take this on a case by case basis. <laughs> We, uh, use a lot of RIR targets. So reps in reserve, and that is essentially how close are you getting to failure? So if you fail with hundred pounds at 10 reps, and that's like your complete mechanical failure within a, an exercise, then nine reps would be one RIR, eight reps would be two RIR and so on. And so if you have that RIR target, maybe the week leading up to your cycle, or maybe the week of your cycle, you're feeling, um, a little bit more drained. You just don't have the like same sort of energy that you have for your training during other times of your cycle. Well, then maybe a one RR this week is eight reps, but a one RR next week, the previous week might've been nine or 10. And so it's sort of this auto regulatory system in and of itself. Um, because with hypertrophy, it's so forgiving. All you need to do is get close enough to failure. Um, obviously like with good technique and making sure that you're not in a position to hurt yourself. Um, so if that tends to be one rep up or down within a couple of weeks of your cycle, that is completely fine honestly, I don't see a huge swing with most women. Um, every once in a while we will, um, we'll, we'll talk about like, Hey, I felt a little bit, uh, more tired this week, just with my cycle, I was a little more drained, or maybe I didn't get very good sleep because of all the things that we talked about before, but it's not as big of an issue. I have found in my own coaching, as um, some people will seem to find, like you'll, you'll hear people online um, that, that make huge changes in their training in accordance with their cycle. And I just haven't found that to be the case in my own coaching. Um, Not that I don't think that that could ever be something that's useful for some people, but just for uh, my clients, I just haven't found it to be a big issue. Um, Now with um, cravings and things like that, that tends to come up more often around the cycle. So that is usually a bigger conversation that we'll have. Um, and, and sometimes that will be, Hey, we're just going to add 150 calories on this week because we are consistently finding that your hunger is just so out of control that you're going over by 400 calories. So that 150 calories is going to be a more conservative number. That's still going to keep you within range. And, um, that's enough to add Plenty of fruits and veggies that are going to be filling and um, help get in a few more micronutrients at this time. Um, but outside of that, there's really not a ton of changes that I make um, in line with the cycle.
1: Yeah, I absolutely approach things the same way in the sense of auto-regulation or letting people auto-regulate their own training. Um, and like like you said too, it kind of swings both ways, right? So if you have like a week or so within the month that you don't feel quite as energized, then perhaps there's another week around your ovulation or so where you're feeling like super high energy. And the same thing with um, calories. If, if this is a person where that consistently comes up that they're like absolutely ravenous the week leading up to their cycle or of their cycle usually the week afterwards they're really not that hungry so we can tweak calories just like you said perhaps increasing on one end and decreasing on another or just keeping the same on the other um that can sometimes work well but again i don't think that that's something you can say across the board and everyone should be doing it this this and that way um just because there is just such a huge individual variability between between women really um yeah, yeah. I, I
0: find even more so than like those crazy strong cravings it, it or even um hunger rather, rather than like a strong amount of hunger. A lot of times it's just that physi, but, um, psychological hunger, like, like drive to eat. I want this food instead of my normal prepped food this week or whatever it may be. And in that case, uh, something that I use quite a bit with clients is, um, an if then statement sort of along the lines of like the James clear atomic habits, like how to break a habit type of thing. Cause a lot of times a craving is going to be, um, more in lines with the habit versus just like its own thing that you can't solve. <laughs> so, um, the, the habit loop is uh, cue, cravings response reward. And so if you can break that cycle between the Q craving or craving and the response of eating that thing, um, then you can kind of break that cycle and make it easier over time. So, um, if it is a situation where like, maybe we're getting ready for a photo shoot or you just have this, um, this goal that you are very serious about and you don't want to stray from your target calories. Well, then um, maybe that thing that you're craving isn't in accordance with that. You can't fit it into your macros and make that make sense for that day. And so instead maybe we go, okay, if I crave X, then I will blank. And it's just really about creating space and time. So I will like, gratitude journal or go for a 10 minute walk or drink a glass of water, something like that. Just because oftentimes if you just create that little bit of time between like, I want that thing and I'm now eating that thing, then you can just create that little distraction. And all of a sudden that craving has dissipated, whereas you've never really given it that time in the past. And so you think like, okay, I crave it. I eat it. That's just how it works. Um, but it's, uh, a lot of times just that simple to, to put that, that time and space and activity to, to distract you a little bit before you have that response of grabbing that thing.
1: I love that. I, if I can highlight something, I would absolutely highlight this, these last, a few sentence sentences that you just said, whether that's in a, cra- a period related craving or not, but just in general, having creating that space and creating the opportunity to disrupt the pattern. And sometimes the answer will be, no, it's still totally worth it. After 10 minutes, I still want that and I'm yeah. going to eat and that's fine. But then at least it's not just a mechanism. At least it's a conscious choice. So thank you so much for sharing all this amazing, valuable information with us. And I would love for you to share where people can find you on um, Instagram or on uh, on a website if um, so that they can go and follow some more of your help. Content.
0: Yeah, on Instagram, I am at Andy Rogers Fit. It's Andy with an I. And um, you can look up elevatedcoachingsystems.com to um, check us out and look through, um, kind of meet the team.
1: Amazing. Everyone, go and follow Andrea. And thank you so, so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe leave a review, or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at Nutrition Coaching and Life or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.